Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today, my guest is Bill Yosis. He's an American chef who's best known as co-author of the book Desserts for Dummies and for being the White House executive pastry chef from 2007 to 2014. He's also one of the hosts of the new Hulu series, Baker's Dozen, which is currently streaming now. Hope you enjoy the show. No, God, <laughs> how, how have things been for you for the last uh, 18, 19 months? Um, yeah, lots of positives, lots of negatives. Um, I um, Some good things have happened. And I think in general, um, there's been sort of, um, I don't know, reawakening of, of people's values uh, over the last uh, year and a half uh, in a good way. But of course, uh, so many people have been lost that it, it mostly is a negative experience. I guess, uh, so I came on a little bit early. I think in my mind, I'm early. Is that the case? You're, 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 yeah, you were a few minutes early, but yeah, oh, you're good. fine. Okay. If, you're, if you're okay to go. I, <laughs> oh, yes, I can. So. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So then um, can, can you talk a little bit about how you ended up with Baker's Dozen? Was somebody in your background going through your background with sort of with French literature? And then ending up in the White House and then ending up on Hulu. That is, are you just the type of person that doesn't say no very often and you're just open to new opportunities? Or how, how did that, what does that trajectory look like for you? That's an interesting angle. I haven't been asked it that way before. Um, yeah, well, you know, I guess they say, what is it? Hindsight is twenty twenty. So mm-hmm. it's hard to guess what your trajectory is going to be. Um I studied French because um, I, I loved it when I first studied it in college. And I thought, well, um, you know, I grew up in this in Toledo in a small town and I was eager to uh, see the world. So I thought it might open some doors, um, which it did. I did not know this, but I, I got into cooking and that certainly helped me in that area. And then I, I just, you know how things just drop in your lap and uh, seem totally unexpected. And um, yeah, I just try, I guess, to remain open to new adventures. You know, and it's, it's, there's a dedication to that, though, where I, I took French and that's what I was studying. And it was because I wanted to watch French film without subtitles. I wanted to appreciate the original language of it. It's all gone now. None of that's stuck. It's it's that's just mm-hmm. you know, twenty five years plus in the rearview mirror at this point. And I really wish I would have stuck with that, and because the opportunities that maybe would have presented themselves from following these different paths and the things that you leave behind. Um, but you had this amazing story that I really loved in the first episode of the show in Baker's Dozen, where I think that one of the things that is missing frequently from shows that involve cooking, restaurants, those kinds of things, um, which a great number of us have, including myself, I have quite a bit of restaurant experience. I worked in restaurants as in fine dining for about 15 years. Oh, and okay. You know the, you know the deal then? Sort of. I, I, I know parts of it, but I don't know the level that you are at. But when you talk about missing a table of desserts and that not being there for the White House, you're like, oh, that when you're doing banquet, service, that kind of thing. And just the clientele is different, but that relatability that just goes all up and down 
um, the scale of yeah. what we, what you experience. And there's a special kind of stress that I think you don't get in any other industry than when you're preparing food. And I don't know that it so has true. ever been fully realized. I, I totally agree with that. And uh, I'm glad you brought it up because the industry is in a you know catastrophic state after COVID. It's uh, yeah. I, so many of my friends are trying to reopen their doors and um, can't find people, uh, which I also understand. Um, yeah. and, and one of the reasons is that, as you just said, it's not really recognized. Like so, now I've worked in government. I've worked in uh, academia. We at the White House, you interface with the military, a lot of different areas. And I do not know an area that's as hard as your average mom and pop restaurant. It's very difficult. And one of the reasons is also the reason that we love it is that food is perishable. And so if you know, unless you're watching it all the time, you're careful about how you order, how you store, how you serve. Uh, it can get away from you. So um, I'm glad you brought that up. And we really need to support our, our restaurant uh, friends. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the, uh, even just here locally, the ones that I could go get takeout from in the middle of things. And I still yeah. go out and try try to support where I can, when I can, because we're losing some amazing restaurants that are just going away. The The big corporate chain stuff, it, they're not doing great either, but they'll right. probably weather the storm. It's those small local places that we end up losing, and you're losing just a big piece of local culture when you do that. No matter absolutely, what the city is. so glad to hear you say that. Yeah, it's not just a quick meal. It's like they know us, we know them. We see even if we don't know the people sitting next to us, it's a chance for us to get out of ourselves and uh, and really have some kind of community. So. Um, Glad to hear you uh, talk about those points. Well, I, and it could just be the, I, I'm not a foodie per se, but I filter things through that lens. When I think about a city, I generally think about the food of that city is one of the first things that, you know, if I'm thinking of Philadelphia, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, right. or even Austin, Texas, you know, Paris, London, I think of the food that I've had there. And those are the things that tie it together. It's just, and I think it's something that starts very early in life. Um, mm -hmm. when we eat around the dinner table as a family and those, the bonding, those moments and restaurants are an extension of that as we move into adulthood. I think. Yeah. Aunt Millie's, uh, sweet potatoes and, uh, macaroni salad. Um, well, and that's one thing that we love to talk about in the show is, are these origins where, and it seems like many of the contestants drew from their family background, mm. from their cultural background. And, uh, it's a whole language. It's a whole language in itself what uh, you know what they were making at home and and what really resonated with them and stuck with them as a as yeah kind of an identity a sort of defining part of who they were well and you do something really smart in the show where you have people that have professional trained backgrounds next to people that are just home cooks and when you're in an actual restaurant that's you you will have people that were they were, went to CIA next to somebody who's out on probation working next to each other. And they're, yeah. they both have their own set of skills that they're bringing to that. So and true. There, there's an amazing leveling that um, yeah. 
happens in restaurants where it's really about the skill as opposed to that background where that speaks louder than anything else. You can have all the training in the world, but if you can't rise to the occasion, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And on the contrary, if you can, um, the other things that are, you know, are, can be, can sort of be obstacles in your life, whether it's race, sexual orientation, um, just the way you think those things don't matter as much if you can perform at that level, if you can really put out a dish correctly and well seasoned and well cooked. And that's what I, I think that's why I wound up there and and was happy there because uh, there's a criteria that you're judged on that has nothing to do with your background. Absolutely. And there's the one, probably one of the most difficult things, and I'm glad the show drills into this a little bit is duplicating it. You can make one plate that's phenomenal, but can you make that exact plate <laughs> twice and, uh-huh. and you know, have that seasoning exactly the same, have the presentation exactly yeah. the same and do that where it still looks like something special. And do I'm it. actually terrible at that. <laughs> so I shouldn't say it because I shouldn't be a judge of it because I'm one of these people that's always like, oh, I can make this next one better. I can, oh, what if we made this? And so... It's very hard for me to, I, I have to do something like make a sheet cake and cut them, you know, all from the same batch. Otherwise, yeah. so, uh, yeah, I'm sure the contestants that got judged on that are probably, if they're watching, they're like, he's a liar. <laughs> uh, but you really, uh, you obviously watched several episodes because you yeah. got down to the nitty gritty. Um well, let me ask you a question. Like, what what stood out to you? What besides that part about the background and the, what we're hoping is that people really like took away some baking knowledge. Would you say there was some of that in there? Yeah, and I think that there's something that's interesting that's happened in the country in the last twenty years, where general food knowledge is not what it used to be twenty years ago. Um, yeah. And I think that's a great deal due to television. Yeah, um, baking is my absolute, that's my Achilles heel. There's no, I I can't, I'm not a baker. I'm fascinated by it. It's um, the science of it, the repetition, the exact way you have to put things together. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so precise that if you just miss a few things uh, for timing, um, you have the the gentleman that was doing all the stuff with um, chocolate and that he, he, the guy is, he's a chemist (laughs) more than he is yeah, cook at that point. And that's something True. that just blows my mind. As far as takeaways from it, I just have the utmost respect for it, even more so than I did before, probably. But the one thing that I really loved about the show, my big takeaway was that the show just feels good. Um, that it, you watch the show and you're it just felt nice to watch. It's it was very comforting right now. It doesn't have it, there's not a mean-spirited bone in this entire show's DNA, I think. And that's what I, I really appreciate. I would agree. Uh, and kudos to the production company. It's called Bright Spot Productions. Uh, they they just have that ethos of uh, kindness and respect uh, among everybody, no matter what you're doing there. And it was a, a very level playing field, very kind of democratic environment in, in the best sense. and. Um, so it was it was a joy to go to work every day. And when were you filming the show? Was this in the? Uh, it was uh, March. Okay. 
yeah, March of, of this year. Uh, and it was really cold. Uh, I don't know if you can, you can't really tell that well, but Tamara wears some like sort of short skirts and uh, <laughs> like lace dresses. And she was freezing. They had to come out with a blanket for her like every few minutes. I was I was pretty cold myself in the early morning. And once it got 10 o'clock and the sun came up, it was it was OK, but it was pretty chilly. So, yeah, it was uh, filmed in March. That And I, I couldn't tell in that sense, but it did feel like because there's the outdoor. You don't think of baking outdoors necessarily. You don't think about right. that way, but you would have these situations that were set up outside and it kind of felt like, OK, that's what this is, but it's not about that. And it just looks like pretty scenery. So you don't even take it in, in that way. It's just uh, aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. And the contestants mentioned it a few times because their buttercream is like rock hard and the chocolate won't temper. And so that was really made it challenging for them. Well, you've been in that situation there. There is an element of that that actually adds, it's a challenge, but there is a layer of realism in that. Not that you're necessarily you do have to do banquet service where you have to go out into the public and prepare food in areas that you normally wouldn't, but also the air conditioning goes out. The swamp cooler goes out. There's things that happen where the temp, the normal temperature that you would have in there is gone. And so these things do happen. And the people that are paying for food that night, they don't care. They have, they're just going to, they expect it to be exactly what they're paying for. as they should um so yeah you you develop a lot of workarounds a lot of plan b's a lot of default situations uh so that's where experience comes in and and why uh many of the experienced bakers uh even if they were amateur home cooks they fared better because they could adapt um i remember you know some of the people like just using uh body heat their hands to warm up the buttercream and some would like actually put it in a double boiler um so that was um yeah and all those things there's little tricks that uh, i think any baker finds i i learned a lot that's Um, what i was going to ask you was there anything that you even saw with your experience that you took away from this that you said oh i wouldn't have thought of that yeah well one of the inspirations for this show was how much social media and photography has changed food in the last even five years. Um, If, if you don't have the right lighting, the right phone, uh, you can kiss your food goodbye. It has to appear. It has to appear on the social media stage for people to want to try your food. And um, so many of these, the young people in the show had that advantage that they were familiar and they knew how to present. Uh, They maybe didn't know how to get around obstacles, but they did know how to make a beautiful presentation that they had learned on YouTube Mm -hmm. or or they learned from another uh, source. But that has been a huge real advantage to bakers, especially home bakers. But every, everybody I know in the profession goes to YouTube as well to learn new things. And do you think that's for the better of cooking um, this sort of these home bakers, these people that are getting all this exposure on YouTube? Do you think that that is taking away from the experience of going to professionals or is that something that's just you know, causing professionals to have to up their game, so to speak? Yeah, in, in my view, it's all positive. Um, The more, and you mentioned earlier how people are better informed now about food, which Mm -hmm. has opened their 
uh, minds to trying new things, to looking at appreciating new techniques. Uh, no, I think it's all positive that they that people can really uh, learn both about the ingredient, the source, how it's cooked, what's the healthier way of cooking it, which is often what we talk about on social media. Um, that has been that's been great. I mean, I, you know, there's this the same drawback everybody always brings up that um, this is a cliche that I don't even know if it's true that new people in the business see a sort of the um, you know person skyrocketing to fame with you know six months experience. Um, I don't think that really happens. If it does, they don't last. Um, skyrocketing to fame usually means um, there's pretty good experience behind them and mm -hmm. they've been able to adapt to difficult situations as well. Everybody in there, all the guest judges, for example, even though they did sort of, some of them had just been doing it for two years, they were um, specialized in a very specific area and they excelled at that and they stayed kind of in their lane. And, and, and that was, uh, you know, beneficial to them. That whole thing about Instagram and the photographs, like I'll take uh, Lauren Coe, for example, she wrote this book called Pyometry and her, um, her thing was making sort of pie art. She would cut uh, either cutouts or string art and, and pull it across her pies. They're extraordinary. And uh, it, it created a whole new genre. And that was, that's what you're known for. You're, you're the, you're the crust guy. Your pies are what, that's kind of what left your mark. The one reading up on you, that was the thing that you were known for. Um, is that something that makes you rethink that? Cause there's something that I, and maybe I'm just a traditionalist in that sense, but there's something about that mystery of the pie of just that perfection of seeing what's there when you're cutting into it, that when you put too much around it, I think it kind of takes something away from it, but that's just maybe an old school thought. It depends. It depends on your opinion on crust. And for me, it's kind of like if the crust is good, that's the. Uh, I don't even care about the filling. Like I really can just eat the crust. So uh, in that sense, we differ. Um, and then I, what actually from her episode, it really got me thinking because I, I didn't know about this and I'm supposed to be the crust master. <laughs> like what a fraud. <laughs> uh, so I started to look into it and this whole, the whole history of pie is very interesting. It goes back to the 17th century. And in those days it was in England and each pie had its own decoration. Like you could not just make uh, like a, I don't know, um, you know, rabbit pie and not have rabbits on the crust. That was unthinkable. And they and there's even books with all these like very Renaissance drawings of what your pie was supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. So um, that was kind of my comeuppance when I learned about that. Well, that, and that's just bringing the, the history of it. And I guess it became this thing that I had very limited exposure in a very certain area. And that's but the European meat pie type things. Those are something that I just I don't see a lot of. I'm starting to see those pop up here and there. It seems like there's a movement towards that where that's kind of an untapped market where there is interest in that food again. Yeah, apparently it's really big in Australia mm -hmm. and in, you know, in other English, British sort of um, 
outposts, but it it really has. I did them uh, for in my pie company. I, we had both sweet and savory. Um, it did okay, but yeah, I think it's. Um, I don't think people are ready for it yet, and yet it's so convenient. I mean, it's something that just like grab and go, really delicious, great combination, portable. But uh, we'll see. Maybe it'll take off. There's somebody trying to do it here in Tucson, Arizona, where I'm based. Oh, good. It, it seems like it would be a colder climate food, but people are gravitating towards it. So I, I'm actually very happy to see that. So yeah, it's with this show now, now that you're kind of have this checked off and everything else that you've done, what's next for you? What's the thing that you haven't done that you want to do? Um, well, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated in, um, and food and health. And uh, that was something that, you know, I was involved with before, but working with Mrs. Obama was uh, was a real eye opener. And I think for many people, I put it on a new level of awareness. So uh, I'm always really fascinated about uh, how we grow our food, how it's harvested, distributed, stored, cooked, um, all in the service of making it still delicious and yet healthier for us. So, I mean, when we talk about health and food, there, many people assume that there's, they're diametrically opposed, that if it tastes good, it has to be bad for you. And uh, it's not true at all. I mean, the fresher the ingredients, the better the way that we source our ingredients or grow uh, is, makes better food, makes it taste better. Uh, so I'm working in several areas now. I'm, uh, I work with Stone Barn Center for Agriculture in um, here in New York State. Uh, and I work with a doctor who is Dr. Tanya Trippett, who is um, an expert in uh, nutrition and cancer. She's building a hospital in uh, Ghana, Africa, uh, where she's connecting the farmers of the region to supply the hospital. That's been fascinating to me uh, to sort of see these links. And I think it's something that's more and more people are aware of that um, we, our health really depends a lot on what we eat. Well, the, the, the fuel that you're putting in your body, of course, um, that only makes sense. And the idea of trying to desert to healthier options is phenomenal. That's great. I think we have um, a definite need for that to reframe our thinking around what a dessert can be and what uh, mm. healthy can be and that it's not just tofu and it's not that <laughs> it's not a 1980s uh, version of that and i think most totally people are there. yeah um, and and there's some delicious tofu but, yeah, yeah, but you so won't so convince you won't convince most people to eat a dessert with tofu um but yeah there's and i always say you know it's hard to make a healthy dessert, but you can have a healthy lifestyle that includes dessert in moderation. Absolutely. Um, I just have to ask you, are all these sirens, I'm in New York City, you know, are all these sirens coming through? I'm sorry for that. No, 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 no. Yeah, a little bit. But that's something that I've yet to interview somebody in New York City where that is not a part <laughs> of the background. That's just I don't even that, hear it, you know. It, it, it was and it almost timed out perfectly. You're like, I'm in New York. And then the sirens went off. Like, yeah, that, that's how that's supposed to go. <laughs> that's right. So I, I do feel like, you know, I'm sort of looking at my image. I do feel like I should address the question of the pink bow tie and pink 
jacket. So uh, I was doing interviews with Tamara this morning and she's always so glamorous. And, you know, I just can't, I didn't want to appear with her and it just a like t-shirt. So hence the, my fancy getup. Well, I had a feeling that there had been other interviews lined up. I didn't think that this was for me. Um, I, it is I, for I, you. <laughs> this one is, yeah, this is for you. Definitely. No question. Like, I just didn't you. have time to like wardrobe change, you know? <laughs> well, thank you, Bill. I know that we're out of time uh, now, but this is, I love the show. And oh, I'm sorry. Well, I like your show. You've asked like some of the most like, you know, really pertinent questions and, um, which is great. I mean, I'm, I'm happy being shallow. I'm happy answering, you know, uh, superficial questions, but you seem, do you have a film and entertainment background? You said you. I, yeah. Yeah. I think um, like a lot of people who do what I do, it was something that I wanted to do with my life, but I came to realize that it wasn't going to work out that way. So now this is just something I do as a passion that mm-hmm. I, I love film. I love television. I love entertainment. I love storytelling. Um, I just was not the person to tell those stories. I was always a better editor than writer. And so I like talking to artists. I like talking to creators. They're, those are my people. That's my tribe. Well, you, you do, you obviously, you know, really understand, understand the intricacies of, of what little I know about it. Um, and, and I want to say, don't give up, you know, they came to me, I was like, I'm nearly 70. So, you know, my, I'm a Hollywood ingenue at 70. So you never know what's going to happen. That, that, that's the thing. It's just, I never would have thought that just here we are talking to each other. This is something that it's a real honor to speak to you because, um, I just, the idea of talking to somebody that worked in the white house, that's fascinating to me. So it's just, um, I'll follow this wherever it takes me. So <laughs> thank you very much. I Sounds like you mind. love it. No, I do. All right. Do. Thank you, Christopher. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. Have a good one. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye now. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.
voice crack.